Well, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 1. And uh, this is the beginning of a brand new year, so I thought I'd speak to this issue of a brand new year and how this year is going to play out. And I think, we're, you know, we actually have a little bit of say in how our year is going to play out. And we'll talk about that this morning, the choices we make. Uh, you know, on our 10th wedding anniversary, you know, we're, we had, we've been in this church a long time. So on our 10th wedding anniversary, Patty and I decided to do something really neat. We got married in December. You say, why'd you pick December? Well, because we were college students and we weren't allowed to actually get married during the school year, so we had to find a break. And so December was the break we decided to get married on. So we got married in December. And uh, how many know in December, it gets dark pretty fast here in Alberta. So Patty and I decided to go down to Calgary and we rented a nice hotel and I thought I'd take her to a really nice dinner and we went up to Calgary Towers. You know, it's kind of, this is like, you know, pretty nice stuff. And uh, we got down and we started heading back to the hotel. And, you know, I don't know. I've had a kind of a love-hate relationship with Calgary. I'll just explain it. It's real simple. I get lost in Calgary. I don't know why. You know, I'm usually really good. I've driven in lots of cities. I mean, I've d- driven in a ton of cities. But for some reason, I get downtown Calgary and it messes me up. And it even messes my internal compass up for some reason. I don't know why. So, and, I, and it, it happened on our wedding anniversary and we're chatting and I'm driving. And in my internal compass, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be heading north. And I think I'm heading north. And pretty soon, I don't recognize anything. You ever have that experience? And I didn't want to tell Patty. I didn't know where I was. But, you know, that's a typical guy thing, right? But fortunately, we had this new vehicle and it had a compass in it. And so I I said, you know, I'm going to just check the compass. I just want to get my bearings, right? And I hit the compass. I I thought it was going to say north, right? It said south. I went, really? You know, have you ever had a moment when you thought that the technology in your vehicle wasn't functioning right? And I, I really felt like the car's compass was out of whack and my compass was intact. But, you know, the more I drove, the more I realized I'm not recognizing anything and I'm really getting lost. So I said to Patty, you know, I think I'm going in the wrong direction. The compass says I'm going in the wrong direction. So I'm going to turn around going the other direction. So I did that and we started driving in the other direction. And eventually I started recognizing landmarks and I realized you know what? I was absolutely going in the wrong direction. And that was really hard to take. You know, I just, I, I was actually getting lost. You know, now that wasn't a dangerous situation, but you can imagine if you get lost in the woods and you're going in the wrong direction, that can be really deadly. But I really believe there's many people in our world today that they think they're going in the right direction, but they're absolutely lost. And they don't even realize it. Just like I was lost, I didn't even realize it. I was going in the wrong direction. There are people going in the wrong direction. And I think it can happen to any one of us. You know, one of the sad things, and the Bible even teaches this in the book of Proverbs in chapter 14 and verse 12. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. In other words, most of the people in our community think that everything's great. Or even if they don't think everything's great, they don't think they're going in the wrong direction anyways. But yet, Proverbs seems to indicate that life is directional. That there's paths that we need to be on. And there's a broad path and a narrow path. And we need to be on the right path. And we need to be heading in the right direction. So if you ask the average person, what do they want from life? What do you think they're going to tell you? I want to be happy. Isn't that true? And you know, I think that's a God-given thing. That God puts it in our hearts to want to be happy. And actually that word happy is a very interesting word in the Hebrew language. It's the word asher. 
And we know that that's true because when we read uh, the story of Jacob and his two wives, Leah and Rachel, there's a little competition going on. And eventually Leah decides, I want to get the upper hand on my sister. So she gives her handmaiden to Jacob to have more children. And then she has a son, uh, but through Zilpah, and she bears the son to Jacob. And Leah then says, how happy I am. The women, the women will call me happy, so she named him Asher. Asher means to be happy. Now, how many here would say, you know, as we leave and we've been greeting people in the last little bit, Happy New Year, right? We, we're wishing people that they can be happy. And I think that's a good wish for people. I think God wants us to be happy. Everybody follow this. But I think the way to achieve happiness sometimes is where we have the problem. Sometimes we think to be happy, we get to do what we think is, is going to make us happy. And sometimes what that really does is lead us down the wrong path. And at the end, we're not so happy anymore. We started happy, but we, it's diminished us in some way. So really, we need to take a hard look at what the Bible says will make us happy. And when we discover that, we will become happier. You know, Actually, the word happy and blessed is a similar idea. It's a synonym, really. It really is. And when we read Psalm 1-1, it starts out, blessed is the person. Blessed means Asher. That's the word they're translating, which is the word we get happiness from. Proverbs 3 and verse 13 says, blessed is the man who finds wisdom. Now, why am I, I'm starting out in Proverbs here, but I'm going to go to the Psalms. Because Psalm 1 is what we would call a wisdom psalm. And the book of Proverbs, like the book of Job and like the book of Ecclesiastes, is a genre that is actually wisdom literature. And that's why this idea is they're, they're kind of connecting all the time. And so in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is actually the thing that we need to get. How many here would, could easily say, I wish I knew today what I know today when I was in my teen years? Would that be a, how many say that would be a little advantageous? You know, how many think, you know, if I had that much experience, I'd have probably made a lot of different decisions in my life. Would, how many think that might be true? You know, but the book of Proverbs, which I'm actually spending a lot of time in these days, is actually designed to help us have that kind of wisdom to gain that kind of experience that we lack so we can make good decisions and have the, you know, to have the skill to live a successful life. How many say, I really, really would want to live a successful life. I really want to live a happy life. You know, isn't that true? We should all be saying, that's what I really want. And I think what Proverbs is trying to teach us is how to gain that wisdom in order to live a successful, happy life. I think that's powerful. And that's why it says here, blessed is the person who finds wisdom. That person's going to gain understanding. And it says, and her ways, now her being wisdom. Wisdom is personified in the book of Proverbs as a woman. It's a feminine gender. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Don't you love that? How many say, you know, I want to walk in pleasant ways in 2018. Anybody up for that? How many say, I would like to live with peace of mind in 2018? It doesn't suggest that I'm not going to have trials or I'm not going to have trouble, but I want to live in such a way that those trials and troubles are no longer defining my sense of emotional well-being. Anybody say amen to that? So what's really happening is that I'm experiencing happiness. I have a sense of blessedness or a sense of joy. 
and I'm, I'm literally, I'm living above the problems of my life. It's not that they've gone away, but I'm not being shaped by them. My emotions, I'm not coming unglued. I'm not falling apart. I'm actually strong. I'm stable. And I have a quiet confidence that things are going to work out because I know God is in charge of my life. He's in charge of what's happening and nothing's caught him by surprise. And therefore, I can have peace in the midst of my challenge. I love that. I think that's beautiful. That's what we want. Okay, now... As we're going to look at our our text this morning, I want to just point out, you know, two things that I think can really change 2018 for us. See, I think what happens so often in our lives is we look at these years as if I had a good year or I had a bad year, and it's all shaped on what's happened to me. But I I think what we need to realize is that's, that's living with a victim's thinking. What we need to understand is if we make certain choices right now at the beginning of this year, it's going to change the outcome of our year. We actually have a part to play in how our lives are, are developed. In other words, we're a product of many of the choices we've made. Not all of them, but many of them. And I think we need to take more ownership and responsibility about our choices. And when we do that, we can actually, you know, begin to make good choices that'll actually impact how our year develops, okay? So I'm going to take a look at two things, excuse me, that I think will really shape how we're going to live 2018. Let's take a look at it from Psalm 1-1. So let's take a look at these these two two things that have a positive impact in our lives in 2018. First of all, choosing the right kind of relationship. How many recognize that the kind of people that, are, that we surround ourselves with really impact our lives. And they really influence us far more than we realize. And if we have the right kind of people around us that are encouraging us to do good things and healthy things and powerful things and they're examples to us and they're supporting of us, that's going to do a lot to encourage us to do good things in 2018. But, you know, if we start hanging with a bunch of people that are, you know, that are defeated, that are victimized, that are making poor choices, you know, that are living, you know, what I call not self-disciplined lives, we're going to probably have more struggles in 2018 as a result of that. So the people that we surround ourselves with really do impact our lives. They influence us. Matter of fact, the Bible says it's the fear of man that brings a snare. So obviously we're influenced by people around us, choosing the right kind of people. You know, Proverbs, again, says uh, this. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. In other words, you know, some people really can challenge us to become a better person. First uh, Corinthians 15.33, and we all know this, this one is true. He says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And, you know, we, we recognize that in Proverbs in chapter 2 because the father's talking to his son and saying, don't hang out with your peers that are suggesting we can make unjust gain. Because he says, in the end, you're going to suffer as a result of that. And we see that that's what happens when we become a teenager. You know, a lot of times young people move away from their parents' you know, wise counsel. I'm not saying all parents give wise counsel, but, you know, most parents have more experience and if, you know, parents have more wisdom and experience, they usually try to pass that on to their children. But if young people say, no, I'd rather listen to my peers, what starts happening is peers have less experience and they have less success in life and they have more idealism 
And so they think they know more, but a lot of times it proves to be unfruitful, unhealthy. And we've all seen it, you know, as a parent. You know, you could always say, well, I know who my kids have been hanging with this week. You know, I could just about tell my daughters, well, you've been spending time with so-and-so. And they go, how do you know? I said, your attitude. I can pick, you can just about tell who people are hanging with. And isn't it funny, we even pick up on people's manners. And people that we identify with or respect, you know, we, we end up, you know, saying things. We find ourselves talking or saying or emulating or being influenced by that individual. Isn't that true? So I think it's important we make good choices. We have, a, we have the capacity to choose who the people will shape and influence our life for 2018. Now, I'm not suggesting we don't have non-believing friends. I think we need to have those. But what I am saying is the people who are giving me counsel, the people who are motivating and inspiring me, the people who, you know, uh, I'm going to spend time with, they're going to impact me the greatest. And so I have to make a choice who those people will be. And if I choose good people, I'm going to have a better year. I I really will. I'll, I'll make better decisions. I'll be encouraged and I will be, you know, shown a better path. Let's take a look here at Psalm 1-1. It says, Blessed or happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of that sinner's take or sit in the company of mockers. Now, how many know if you're hanging around people who love God, you're more apt to want to love God? And if you're hanging around people who don't have any interest in God, you probably have a little less interest in God. That's the way life shapes up, you know. Have you ever considered how non-believers make decisions? They usually answer the question, you know, what do I get out of this? That's usually the way people, I'm not saying everybody, I'm saying some people, a lot of them will think this way. The righteous person, I think, asks a different question. What can I give to this? Already you see a different vantage point. Not what do I get, what can I give? You know, how is this going to glorify God? That's a great question. Isn't that true? Well, how is this going to bring glory to God? If I made every decision based on what can I give to this, how is this going to bring glory to God? How does this affect my family, this decision? In other words, if I make this decision, how is it going to impact my spouse or my children or my greater extended family? How is this decision going to impact their lives? The thought is about others and not just for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying we don't think about ourselves. I'm just saying we don't just stop and, at that point. You see, I think it's okay to think about yourself, but you've got to think beyond yourself. That's a mature, healthy person. A person who only thinks about themselves, they're underdeveloped, they're immature, and I would even say they've been affected by sin in a very powerful way. You know, a person who's totally selfish is a person who has not overcome sin in their life. I think the ungodly are often thinking about themselves. One thing we know for sure is that they're not concerned about what God thinks. True? Of course. Otherwise, they'd be a Christian. They would be a follower of God, right? We see that. So, he says here, neither does the person who is to be blessed find that they're standing in the way of sinners. To stand means they represent something other than what God represents. And here's one of my deepest concerns right now in our culture. And it really has to do with the church. You know, a lot of people in the church world are being affected by how the culture thinks. And they're embracing that thinking rather than what God has to say. And when we do that, we're succumbing to the system of our society, which is really, it says no to God. 
It's actually antichrist. We don't think of it that way. The word anti in the Greek language means it's, it says no to. It's, it's negating. It's no. It's against. And so a lot of people in our culture are against Christ. I've talked about that before. That's very normal. We keep acting like that's abnormal. I'm saying, no, that's natural and normal. We have to anticipate that. And um, we see that even in the life of Christ. There were people that rose up against him. The perfect person, the sinless person, the most loving person, the most caring and compassionate person had people hate him. How many think that's kind of interesting? I think it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, then he goes on to say, Peter describes a non-believer's lifestyle in 1 Peter. You've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. That's not a very flattering list of behavioral patterns, would you not say? I, I don't want to be listed in that group, you know. But non-believers, they think this is awesome. This is what they're living for. You know, we're going to Vegas, right? Are you guys following the sermon? You know, we prayed for you this morning that you would actually be attentive listeners. You know, we did. Because you know what happens? A lot of times we think we're listening, but we're not. It's true, you know. We're really not listening. And that's why the Bible says, if, today if you hear my voice. Notice he said, if you hear my voice. God's trying to talk to us. We have to decide, do we want to hear what he has to say? So I'm, I'm trying to help you to you know, be an attentive listener here this morning. So the psalmist continues to mention that the happy person does not sit in the seat of the company of mockers. So you say, well, who's a mocker? What is a mocker? A mocker is one who ridicules what is good and right He is the person who makes light of the things of God and denies God his rightful place in their life. And this is what Solomon says in the Proverbs about mockers. He says, the proud and arrogant person, mocker is his name. So those are characteristics of mockers. They're proud and they're arrogant. And they behave with an insolent fury. Now, there's a lot of anger in their lives. He says, do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Rebuke the wise... And by the way, the wise in the book of Proverbs, anyways, in the wisdom literature, is the godly person. Rebuke the wise person, and they're going to love you. Isn't that amazing? So I have to sit down and evaluate how am I going to respond to when I'm being instructed and corrected. You know, how do you respond when people instruct and correct you? Well, I really don't like it, Pastor. I don't like people straightening me out. Well, the wise person says, is this true, and what can I learn from this? And they grow from it. And you know, when somebody's really trying to help you, you know, sometimes they're going to, sometimes we're not, we don't have it all together. As a matter of fact, I'm, at my age, I'm still going to school. You say, well, you're a slow learner, Pastor. Yeah, I know. And, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to make this proposal for a thesis, and I keep getting it sent back to me saying, you got to fix this, you got to fix that. Now, I could, I could just say, you know what, I don't want to listen to this person. But that's not, I'm paying this person to tell me this stuff. You know, you're saying, really, you pay for that pain? I go, absolutely. But here's the deal what you need to know. They're trying to make me better. And I recognize that. And so if I work at, you know, trying to improve what's being said, I'm going to develop and do it better. I should be thankful for that person's input in helping me become a better person, you know? But we tend to buckle and get frustrated when somebody says something. Now, I think people can just insult us. I don't, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who care about us and say, you know, I'm so concerned about you, but I'm noticing you're doing this and this is not helpful to your cause or this is really going to undermine who you are as a person. So what I'm trying to say this today is if we're, if we're not going to be like mockers who they don't receive any correction, 
as a wise, godly person, I want to receive correction so I can improve and grow and mature and develop as a person. So I need to have the right attitude about correction because in our culture, nobody wants to be corrected anymore. Isn't that the truth? We all want to be right. Well, how can we all be right? We're not all right. And so that we're really underdeveloped and immature and there's a lot of problems as a result of that. You know, another thing is uh, other qualities of mockers is that you know, they speak insults and they have an unteachable spirit. Uh, it says here, a wise son heeds his father's instructions, but a mocker does not respond to rebukes. In other words, they're not going to do anything anybody tells them. You know, mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. Wow. That should say something. Am I ha- who am I hanging with? See, that's so important. You know, if I'm hanging with really wise people, they might say something to me like, hey, Paul, you ever thought about doing that differently? Oh, okay. No, I hadn't. That's a good point. I probably should take that in. You know, factor that into my life. Okay. Um, So, C.S. Lewis says, friendship as the ancients saw it can be a school of virtue, but also as they did not see it, a school of vice. In other words, the people that are, I'm hanging with are either moving towards God or away from God. And I have to decide, you know, how much time am I going to give to this? So here's what I'm trying to explain to you. I need to have the kind of relationships with people that I have many acquaintances. I relate to people. I connect with non-believers. I think Christians should do that. I think we should share our lives with people. But ultimately, my closest friends and the people I confide in and the people I'm taking advice from are the ones who are godly and wise. And they're the ones that when I hang with them, I want to be a better person. And those are the people we should be choosing as our closest friends. Does that make sense? And if we do that, I think we're going to grow in 2018. Okay? So step one. Point number one, real simple. Be very selective in who you're choosing. And I think that when we're younger, we make poor choices far more easily. And as we get older, we realize, you know, this person's just... um, well, I'll just say this about friendship. Friendship should be a two-way street. You know, some relationships, all you're doing is giving. Everybody have those kind of relationships? You know, and I, don't, I think you can have those, but they're not, that's not a true friendship. A true friendship is a reciprocating relationship where you're both receiving and giving, okay? That's a healthy relationship. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Find some healthy relationships where it's a two-way street where you're receiving and you're giving. So everybody follow what I'm saying? That is very important, you know, because if you're only having relationships, you're giving, 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 eventually, you know, that's unhealthy. You know, where are you getting? You have to receive as well. Nobody here can just be givers all the time and not receivers. We have to have an an interchange. Okay, I love what uh, Lewis is saying here. He said, it is ambivalent. It makes good men better and bad men worse. In other words, the people you hang with is going to have an effect that way. Then he says, for a Christian, there are strictly no chance, uh, speaking no chances, a secret master ceremony has been at work. Uh, Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. That's a nice thought. In other words, God wants to help us with the choice of our friends. Matter of fact, a lot of times, he needs to help us with the choice of our friends. He brings people into our lives that are amazing people. It says, friendship is not a reward for our discrimination and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each the beauties of the other. In other words, 
God is the one who helps us find these kinds of people. And God's going to bring people into your life. And, you know, sometimes you start out with them and you may not connect with them initially. You know, we, we had a beautiful ceremony, I said last night, celebrated someone's 80th birthday. This was a friend, but this is a lady that says things as it is. And, you know, we got to love and appreciate her for the last 37 years. And we celebrated her 80th birthday. I think it's important that we, you know, connect with people that are going to really do a work in your life. You know, I remember back in 2002, I met Dr. Thomas in India. You know, in a lot of people... It was so funny when I first met him because he said, I need you. I go, what? You know, I need you to come to India and to teach in India. I said, really? He said, yeah, I've been talking to all the other ministers in your conference, you know, in the conference here. And he said, your name came up over and over again as someone that needs to come teach in India. So that's how I began that relationship. But my relationship with Dr. Thomas is a little different than what you see because you only see him here ministering to you on Sunday. I brought people to India and when you see how he, how he has compassion and concern for the people there, you see a whole new side to him. But over the years, you know, at first when I met him, I thought, wow, this guy just tells me what to do. And he's like, he was intimidating me at the beginning, you know. That's how it started. Today, when I go to India, he's opened his heart to me and shared the challenges that he's faced, the tears. I have a whole different relationship with him. And... He's the kind of person, I'm just explaining how I make choices, like God brought this person in my life, and now we have this exchange, two-way street, which is really powerful, and one thing I notice when I'm around Dr. Thomas, he always, he, he, he lives his life in such a way that it makes me want to be a better person. And I think when you have those kind of people in your life, you'll be richer for it. So that's what I'm trying to give you, some inst- very practical instructions on how do you know when you're picking a wise or godly person? How do you know you're going to pick the right kind of people? Or how do you know God's bringing this person into your life? After a while, they should be the kind of people that help you want to be a better person. Okay? That's point number one. Let me go to point number two. It's choosing the right mental input. Now, I'm going to maybe change that and say this. If the first one is choosing the right kind of human friends, then I think we need to develop the relationship with the ultimate friend, which is God himself. But how do we do that? God's a spirit, right? You know, and I think what we do as Christians a lot of times is we make God after our own image. And what I mean by that is we make God what we want him to be for us. We're, we're, we're kind of all guilty of that to a varying degrees. So how do I know what God's really like? Well, I'll tell you, you have to read the Bible. You have to let God speak for himself. And, you know, nobody wants to be misrepresented, but I think a lot of times we misrepresent God. I'm, I'm serious about this. And so we, we say, well, God's like me. No, God's not like us. He's other than us. He's different than us. So I need to discover who he is. So how do I go about doing that? Well, you know, the Bible says here in verse 2 of Psalm 1, but whose delight, blessed or happy is the person who doesn't hang out with the wrong people that are going to bring him down, but hangs out with God. Really, that's what he's saying. But, but delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Is that powerful? So... You know, you and I are feeding our souls every day. I don't know if you know that. We're making choices. Every day you make a choice. You get up, you decide what you're going to wear. I don't even think about that, Pastor. I just do it. Yeah, I know, but it's still a choice. And what I'm arguing today here is that every day you're making choices of the things you're going to do. No, but I've got to go to work. I've got to go to school. Yeah, but there's a lot of other discretionary time. And it's how we use that time that's going to really transform our lives. 
And here the psalmist says to us, if you really want to, you know, to be happy, you got to get to know God. And the only way to get to know God is to get to know God on his terms, not on our terms. And the only way to do that is let God speak for himself. So you have to get into his word. Are we following all of this? So now if I start meditating on his word day and night, I'm going to be happy. The happy person seeks guidance for life in God's law rather than the than in the deliberations of the wicked. This is the NIV study notes, these two verses. I like that. So what is meditation? You know, well, or why is meditation? Then I'll explain what it is. Why is meditation vital for the believer? Okay, well, first of all, Erwin Lutzer says, every temptation comes to us via our thoughts. And that's true, you know. It comes into our minds. So the battle that's going on, the spiritual warfare, and I know some people they have spiritual warfare thinks it's like casting out demons and all the rest of it. Can I tell you the essence of spiritual warfare is actually taking captive the thoughts that you have that are in conflict with the word of God and surrendering those thoughts and making them obedient to what God says. And what that really means is I'm going to do God's thing rather than my thing, even though I want to do my thing rather than God's thing. How's that? I'm simplifying it. So, you know, and what some of us do is we go, I want to do my thing. This is God's thing. I'll bend God's thing until it's my thing. That's called rationalization. We got to stop that. We just got to say, okay, God, this is the way it is. I'm going to do your thing. I don't really want to do your thing. I'm being honest. I'd rather do my thing. But I know your thing is going to make me happy rather than my thing. Because my thing, how many here, you can honestly say, I've done things my way, I've done my thing, and it hasn't always proven out to be very happy for me. Anybody relate to that statement? Okay, so why don't we try it God's way? And I can guarantee I'm a lot older now, I can say, yeah, that really does work, really big time. You know, Leslie Flynn says, every kidnapping was once a thought, every marital affair was first a fantasy. We've got to win in our minds. Vance have, uh, uh, writes, our defeat or victory begins with what we think. And if we guard our thoughts, we shall have, not have as much trouble anywhere else along the line. So we've got to win this battle in our mind. Or as John Stott says, self-control is primarily mind control. Got to get our minds under control. And let's face it, how many here you can say, you know, I really struggle with anxiety, Pastor. That's really in our mind, is it not? You know, and so in our culture, we just don't know how to handle anxiety because we don't have the strength to handle it. And can I say this? God's given us means to handle anxiety. You say, well, what's the means? Prayer. What's the means? Thanksgiving. What's the means? Worship. What's the means? Focusing in on the good things and rather the bad things. And let's face it in life. Most of us, what do we do is we focus on our problems. Isn't that true? How many say a problem comes along, I get focused on it. And what happens then? How many here, you feel better because you're focused on your problems? No, you just get more anxious. Isn't that true? And, and you know, the Bible says in Isaiah, I will keep that person who c- commits their mind towards me, I'll keep you in perfect peace. See, once we start thinking the way God sees life and we see God who he really is, we can actually start resting. God does care for us. The Bible is very clear about that. He will take care of you. He's very clear about that. And a lot of us can testify after many years of walking with God, he does do what he says he's going to do. It actually works. We just have to apply these things in our lives. So what does it mean to meditate on God's word? Okay. Well, it simply means, now here's where 
the Eastern religions have a different understanding of meditation. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's a big boom of Hinduism in our country today. It's called uh, New Age. But here's how it comes. It's a spirituality, and yoga is at the front of it. Yeah, I'm going to shock you guys. And what, what you're being instructed in yoga is to clear your mind. Everybody's listening very carefully because you know I'm telling you the truth. That's the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. That's not what biblical meditation is. So what is biblical meditation, Pastor? Filling your mind with God's word. Okay? So here's what happens. You know, when you're meditating, it means that you're pondering and considering God's word. You're thinking on it. It says right here. It says, meditate on God's word day and night. How do you do this? Well, the word meditation is the idea of a cow eating grass. How many have ever seen a cow eating grass? But how many know that what happens is very fascinating? You're going to be disgusted. Cow sits down, starts eating grass, swallows it, then regurgitates it back up, starts chewing again. Isn't that disgusting? How many think that's kind of a disgusting habit, but that's how they do it. And so they'll do this a few times, you know, eat, down it goes, up, back up, starts chewing some more. You go, really? And think about that picture for a minute. Don't let it just disgust you, but think about it this way. I get up in the morning, I, start, I open my Bible, I start reading. I say, Lord, can you speak to me? Here's what we tend to do. We just read our Bible, okay, I did my duty, close it and walk away. That's not doing us any good. That's why we're not being changed. You and I need to read until something in what we're reading speaks to us. Okay, I'm teaching you something now. This is, I'm instructing you. If you will read until you get something, then I want you to write out what you get, put it, type it into your iPhone. Okay, everybody follow what I'm teaching you to do now. During that day, throughout the day, pop it up and read it. The scripture and the thought that you have. You do that two or three times. I'll tell you what's going to happen. During that day, God is going to have something happen in that day that what he talked to you about that morning is going to help you. It's going to help you as a person and it's going to help someone who God's going to bring into your life. You're not just feeding yourself now. You are actually feeding yourself and people around you. And it is really amazing. Try this. I want to give you a homework assignment this week. And when this happens, you're going to be surprised. I want you to go tomorrow, wake up and say this. Okay, today I want to, I want to get to know you, God. And I need your help. So Holy Spirit of God, I'm going to read your Bible. I'm going to read until you make something really real to me. Okay, everybody follow this? You read until something stands out to you. Write it, in, write it on a piece of paper or put it in your phone. And during that day, pop it out a few times, three, four, five times. And I'm going to make a guarantee. Try this tomorrow. You're, that what's being said to you is going to help you that day and is going to help someone else. You're going to share that and it's going to help somebody. And that's uncanny. Try this for one week. You're going to go, wow, this is really working. Man, and you know what's really neat about it? A lot of times what happens to us is that something comes to us during the day and we come unglued. Let's be honest. We just fall apart emotionally. We're just, we just don't have a strategy to meet what's occurring in that moment. And yet, if we'd have taken the time that morning and read that scripture, we would have had the actual information we needed to be successful and not allowing what was happening to us to define us at that moment. Is that amazing? How many think this is something worth in looking into at least? 
Somebody going to see if you want to live the way you've always lived, you're always going to get the same results. I'm telling you right now, if you want to make a major change in 2018, you have to sit down and decide how am I going to live differently? And the moment you make these decisions, these are the steps I'm going to take to live differently. Your life is going to be different at the end of the year because circumstances are no longer going to start defining your life. God is going to start defining your life. Now, let me just skip over a whole bunch of stuff here, but I, I want to get to a verse of scripture here. I could, I could say a lot. I, I can be a long winded, but I'm cutting my sermon down all the time. <clears throat> Do you know it's important to talk to yourself? And I think it's even healthy to answer yourself. Now, I know people say, if you, you know, be careful when you have people talking to themselves and answering themselves. You know, we, we usually send them off, but that's not the case. It's not what I'm talking. Actually, I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy. Listen to what the psalmist says. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Who is he talking to? He's talking to himself. Okay, so what is he saying? Why are you so discouraged? Anybody here battle discouragement? Come on now. Okay, so what are you going to do when you're discouraged? You know what we tend to do? We, we tend to get, we're discouraged, so we go tell somebody. And do we feel better? No, we just feel worse. Because we just keep talking about the problem, right? It doesn't seem to lift their spirits. How many know what I'm talking about? You have this experience. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you undo that experience. So you, what are you supposed to do when you're discouraged? You've got to talk to yourself. Step number one, you have to ask yourself, why am I so discouraged? Isn't that a good question? What's bugging me? I'm, I'm now creating it in our vernacular. What's bugging me? Then think about what's bugging you and say, why is that bugging me? He says, so why are you so bugged? Or why so disturbed within me? Why are you so bugged? You know, why am I so bugged by this? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Something, maybe something irritates you or bugs you? You ever say, why is this? Why does, see, we usually just get mad. Or we usually get to frustrated. Or we usually get down. Why don't we ask the next question would be, why does this bother me? How many think that might be a good question? Let's get to the root. Why is this bothering me? Well, you know what? I don't feel like I'm winning. I feel like I'm losing. I feel like I'm less than. I feel like they're better than. You see all the stuff that's going on in their heads, right? Then he says here, he has a little talk. To, now he's going to preach to himself. Listen to what he says. He says, what's bugging? He says, why are you so bugged? What's bugging you? Then he says, okay, let's, let's drop that now. It's not taking us very far. Let's talk about where we're going to go from here. He says, put your hope in God. Who's talking? He's talking to himself. He's telling himself, buddy, you got to get your act together. He's having a little conversation. He's preaching to himself. I always, I always say this to the congregation. You've never heard my best sermons. Because those are the ones I preach to myself, you know. Those are the ones that I have to have a little talk to. I say, listen, Paul, you got to get your act together here, buddy. Why is this bugging you, you know? You, you, the more you know the Bible, the more ammunition you have to feed your soul stuff that will lift you up. He says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He, see, what is he saying? I've been around God for a while. God's never let me down. He always comes through, you know. I, I've been a Christian 42 years. I can honestly say God is faithful. How many others could, raise your hand. God has been faithful to you. But what happens is we forget in the middle of crisis how faithful God is. Isn't that true? We're locked into the problem. 
I'm saying stop looking at the problem. Start talking to your soul. Start preaching to yourself. Say, hey, listen, God has never let me down. God rescued me in this time, in this situation. You know, that's like the old hymn. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has done. Amen? We need to start doing that. You gotta talk to yourself. Because how many know you're gonna be challenged in 2018 and you can just continue to maintain the same behavior or you can say, you know, I'm gonna make a change in my life. I'm gonna actually get good people around me. I'm gonna get good associations. I'm gonna be motivated and inspired to live better. And number two, I'm gonna get to know God like I never have before. I'm gonna learn how to meditate like the cows do, you know, chewing, regurgitating, and bringing it back up and chewing some more and regurgitating and bringing it back up. Do we, how many here, that's what you do. You practice this. Okay, one person, good. It worked. Two, three, few others. It works. It works. I'm just telling you, you gotta try it. That's your homework assignment. Let me close with an illustration. Oh, I tell you, so much good stuff here. It's fun. How many know the story Robinson Crusoe, Daniel Defoe? It's a classic. Anybody know the story? Okay, story goes like this. Robinson Crusoe, it's based on a true story, but it's like, you know how all these movies that say based on a true story, but they always take art, artistic license. How many know that? Somebody know it's not quite the way it went down. They make it better. So anyways, Daniel Defoe writes the story of a young man. He's 18 years old. He's headstrong. He had a godly father. He didn't want to listen to his dad. He rebelled against God. He rebelled against his father, forgot about God, ran off to sea. While he's out to sea with all these wild people, you know, they have a shipwreck. Everybody drowns. He's the only one that survives. He ends up on a deserted island. That's the story. <coughs> Excuse me. So he's starting to drag stuff from the shipwreck before the ship totally sinks. You know, it's been grounded. But he, and he's pulling stuff off the boat. And he ends up taking all the basic supplies to try to survive. And then he finds three Bibles. And everything's going along pretty good until he, one day he's in a desperate situation. He develops a severe fever. You probably could appreciate that in tropical climate. And he's, he's thinking, I'm going to die. So he grabs one of the Bibles, opens it up, and it falls on Psalm 50, verse 15. And it says, call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver, and you're going to glorify me. And so he said, that verse made such a deep impression on his mind before bed. Caruso writes, I did what I'd never done in all of my life. I knelt down and prayed to God to fulfill the promise to me that if I called upon him in the day of trouble that he would deliver me. And you know, a few days later, he was better. And then he depends in his diary. In the morning, I took the Bible, and beginning in the New Testament, I began to seriously to read it and impose upon myself to read a while every morning and every night, not tying myself to a number of chapters, but as long as my thought would engage me. In other words, as long as I could focus on I would do it. And it was not long after I sat seriously to this work that I found my heart more deeply and sincerely affected with the wickedness of my past life. In other words, he began to realize, you know what? I did a lot of wrong things. I'm beginning to see myself as God sees me, and it's not that flattering. Then he says, I began asking God to give me a sense of repentance. And when I came to Acts 5.31, I threw the book down and fell on my knees and lifted my hands to the heavens with a kind of ecstasy of joy. I cried aloud, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou exalted prince and savior, give me repentance. And God set him free. Beautiful. Experience what we'd call the born again experience. He encountered God. 
And now God was his friend every day on this solitary island until one day, years had passed, he was jolted. Here was a man's footprints on the beach. And he was terrified because, you know, most of the surrounding island, they were noted for their cannibalism. And he thought maybe cannibals were on the island. And he was terrified by this thought. And his fears now began to banish his hope. And then Defoe says, all that former confidence in God founded upon God's wonderful goodness seemed to vanish. As the novel unfolds, Robinson repents of his anxiety and slowly begins to re-strengthen himself in his faith. Learning the great lesson of faltering Christians, the things we most fear are likely in the providence of God to be the most used for our good. Isn't that interesting? The thing we thought would be the worst for us, God used for the best. What is DeVoe trying to teach through his novel that what sustains a man even more than human friendship is friendship with God. And that can only be found and sustained through his word. Let's stand. I don't know how 2018 is going to play out. We can't control what's going to happen to us many times, right? We can't control that. But we can control who we're going to choose to spend time with. We can control how we're going to get to know God. We can control that. Every one of us can. You say, well, I don't have a great knowledge of the Bible. You don't need a great knowledge. You just need to ask God for help. I have discovered everything in the Christian life that I have felt I couldn't do when I have asked God for help, He's helped me with. Everything. Everything that I thought was extremely difficult. Fasting. I hated fasting. But I said, God, I need help. I need to start learning how to do this. This is a discipline I need to learn. Would you teach me? Would you show me? Would you help me? And God has. You know, we're going to have three nights of prayer and fasting. Why? You say, well, my life isn't falling apart right now. I can honestly say that. So why would I come if my life's not falling apart? So I can pray for others. You know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to meet people I've never met. But they're going to walk up to me and go, thank you for praying for me. Did you know that? People will do that for you. Because you prayed for them. I think God will show that, you know, our lives are indebted to far more people than we ever realize. And I know that that's true for my life. My life is far more indebted to even to some people I never knew well or some people I'd never met. They prayed for me. And I'm here today because of that prayer. And that's true. Why am I saying all of these things today? Because I believe that God wants us to be happy. But it's not on our terms. We think, you know, if I get to do what I want, I'll be happy. No, that's a lie. You will be happy when you do what God wants you to do for you in your life. You will discover happiness and joy. God will give you, you'll become the person you were designed to be. That's very powerful. So how many here today, you're going to look at this year, you say, you know what, this is the beginning of a new year. By God's grace. See, I don't think you can just do this on your own. By God's grace and with the help of the Holy Spirit, I want to make these two resolutions in my heart that I will choose to, to associate with people that will challenge me to be a better person. That's one resolution. And secondly, that I will learn to wait upon God, learn to meditate on His Word, get to know God on His terms, begin to put it into my life. I'm going to learn how to meditate. Because you know what it says? When you do that, it says in verse 3, 
I love it. It says, you're going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Your fruit is going to come in its season. Your leaf is not going to wither. And whatever you do, you're going to prosper. Wow. How many go, that's what I want for 2018. I want to be fruitful. I want to prosper. I want to rise above all of the troubles and trials that come my way. I don't want them to define my life. Amen. I want the grace of God to define me. I want the word of God to define me. Two resolutions. I guarantee you, you make these two, you live in these two, 2018 will be a better year. You'll come to the end, you'll go, wow, what, a, what an amazing year. It changed my whole life. See, you have the life you've chosen. That's a shocking statement, but it's true. You have the life you have chosen. Today, I'm telling you, make another choice. All repentance is, is a change of mind. I choose, I choose to make other choices that will eventually produce different results. Amen? How many here say, you know what? I'm making some new cho- choices in 2018. I'm making some new choices. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for my this beautiful family of God. I thank you for each one. doesn't matter if they know you or not, but we can make choices today. We can choose to know you or not know you. If we come to your word, we're going to get to know you. Just like we read in this novel, Robinson Crusoe. Lord, whatever place that we're at with you and with others, help us to realize we've been blaming a lot of people for why our life is the way it is, when the reality is we've never taken responsibility for the choices we have made. I pray today that we will make wise choices in 2018 so that we can have an amazingly happy and blessed new year. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.